Country Podcast Edition. I've always been around great songwriters and artists my whole life. I'm Michael Knox. Welcome to my world. Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Jason Aldean, and you are listening to my boy Michael Knox on Knox Country Podcast. Welcome to the Knox Country Syndicated Radio Show Podcast. We are here with Michael Tyler, award-winning songwriter and artist. Can you say that again? (laughs) (laughs) We are here with Michael Tyler, (laughs) award-winning songwriter and artist. (laughs) I'm excited to be here. This is awesome. I couldn't wait to come on the show. I know y'all been working on it for a while, so I'm excited to be here. So me and you have known each other a very long time. Yeah, about 10 years now, I guess. Yes, about 10 years. And kind of give a little funny story about how how we met first, you know. Well, actually, I mean, uh, I was a huge fan of Jason Aldean, so we kind of got online and figured out who his producer was and who kind of made him sound like he sounded. And we found uh, you, and uh, (laughs) we we got on MySpace and found your profile and messaged you. And I remember the subject line was something like, uh, some, can I say, you can't say ass, can you? (laughs) (laughs) Well, you just did. Okay. I remember the subject line was something like, some call it butt kissing, dot, dot, dot. So you had to open it. It was interesting. I remember that part. I don't that remember what the rest of it said. That yeah. But, and then like you open it up and it said, but others call it a great appreciation for somebody else's work and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> but yeah, and uh, yeah, that's how it all started. But it was like, it was a funny thing because I was up at like two in the morning when I got it. Yeah, that's kind of weird. It was late at <laughs> night. And uh, I mean, because I always sat up late and just searched the web for music. Yeah, and, and that's that's what we were hoping. That's what we were hoping you were doing. And that popped up in in that message area. So so I, I contacted y'all back. I remember we all met down at Tootsie's. You came in and you played a bunch, and and we can wear that story out all day. But I remembered y'all were playing a bunch of covers, but then you ended up playing a couple of things you wrote, and and that's what really turned me on. I was like, wow, man, this kid can write, and his melodies are really different. So i remember i remember that being the the moment that i was like well i mean i think i got something really cool here and you were like 13 14 somewhere in there never been to nashville first time to nashville first time in a bar you know so tootsies it was all pretty a a lot to take in at the time and it was cool because one of your earlier you know fast forwarding just a little bit i mean i I think we were doing some of your later showcases and stuff at tootsies yeah just to kind of ice the cake yeah we did tootsies the rutledge you know (laughs) a lot of those places yeah so when you came to town you you kind of had a band back home you know you had i think your brother your cousin or something like that Yeah, my brother was playing guitar and singing backup vocals and uh, my cousin was on the drums and we had a bass player every now and then (laughs) (laughs) but uh mostly it's just us little three piece so what's that like you're from Thera, Missouri. Yeah, Thera, Missouri. Which is like 1,800 people or something. Yeah, yeah. It's like a population 2,000, and there's nowhere to play music around there. So I remember us having to load up, and mom would drive us all the way down to like Yellville, Arkansas, or all the way up to Poplar Bluff, Missouri, and Springfield, Missouri. And it was, uh, it was hard finding shows, but I remember one time we played in Poplar Bluff for the owner of this, <laughs> this place called The Wine Rack. <laughs> and uh, this, this, these two fourteen-year-old and sixteen-year-old kids playing for, you know, grown-ups, and uh, that's that's the kind of thing we grew up into. Well, and um, I remember um, your mom sent some videos because I said, "Man, I got to see him live." And this was before y'all came to Nashville, but the videos she sent me and stuff were like y'all sitting on a uh, like a trailer. It's like a flatbed. Yeah, trailer. It was a flat, <laughs> yeah, it was a flatbed. It was a it was it was a gooseneck trailer uh, that we had all set up on, and it was uh, we were playing for some school and. I can't remember where the school was, but it was some halftime show. We were all excited about it. We're getting up on this gooseneck trailer and playing the halftime show at the high school football game. So. But the PA was like like as big as a basketball. 
Yeah. You know, it, oh, it, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it was it was funny, man. It was there was a lot of a lot of hilarious things. I wish I had all those pictures and videos. So you were coming back and forth a lot, and then then you hit eighteen, and I said, man, I think it's time for you to you to kind of make that move. You know, I had you doing a lot of writing on your own for a couple of years, but then you came to town, and that had to have been a culture shock because you were traveling a lot yeah, with definitely. your family. You were doing a lot with your mom, your brother. Y'all were traveling everywhere, L.A., doing the American Idol thing, you know, trying these things out. But so you came to Nashville all by yourself. Yep. You moved in a place. You know, kind of tell me what, what that kind of felt like. Well, it was weird, especially coming from a town of 2,000 people to a city like Nashville. Um, but, you know, one of the comfortable things was with the people here. I, I, I identified with a lot of the people because they all come from, you know, small towns like that and everything. But uh, the first first couple weeks here was really weird. You know, I was an adult. I was trying to do things by were you myself. Scared? And, yeah, I was scared. <laughs> <laughs> I was definitely scared. But when mom and them called, we're like, are you okay? I was like, yeah, I'm fine. I'm flourishing. You know? I didn't know this, but but I was like going, hey, man, what are you doing this week? And you're like, oh, no, I'm just going to watch some TV. And I kept hearing you talk about hanging out at your place, watching TV. And I always thought, I'm picturing like me in college with a couch a chair, a yeah. kitchen, maybe a little you know, toaster, something, uh-huh. and you're like, no, I got a blow-up chair, and my laptop is where I watch t- yeah, TV yeah. on YouTube. No, yeah, we had it's the so family sad. laptop. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, not sad anymore. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it was an experience. It was cool. I'm glad I did it, but uh, you know, I had my blow-up chair that I'd be watching a movie halfway through, and I'd be sitting on the ground because like, you couldn't ever keep that thing aired up. <laughs> but uh, What did you yeah. sleep on? I slept on an air mattress. And did you have b- covers and Yeah, I had like covers sheets? and sheets and blankets and stuff. But you were telling me you were getting bombarded by brown recluse spiders. Yeah, yeah. It was actually, I was in a nice actually area in Brentwood. And, yeah, that surprises me. Yeah, and uh, I woke up one night on my air mattress and I had one on my arm, jumped up, turned the lights on, there's one in the bed and another <laughs> under the sheet. And I was like, all right, I got to move out of here. <laughs> and uh, so that's when I... Uh, I met Jaron Boyer, and I started writing with him a lot. And uh, he's like, man, I live by myself. We could just, you know, move in with me, and we'll split rent. It'll be easy on everybody. He had the ottoman to your blow-up yep. chair? Yep, he had the ottoman. <laughs> no, he's like, yeah, you can just kind of throw that stuff in the closet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he had a couch. So you were writing at Pure Music for about a year or so, but when did that first kind of cut start coming around? Yeah, well, I mean, I guess it was Old Boots' new Dirt record we were writing for. Of course, I've always, you know, ever since we started working together, I always tried to write a song Jason Aldean would love and want to record, and y'all could do it up big. And we finally made it happen with uh, Laid Back on Old Boots' new Dirt, and that was kind of the first, like, taste of success, you know. And then once you get it, I feel like it's it's a never-ending story of you just want more, and you, you just want to do it, and it just lights a fire under you. And that's kind of what happened. So remembering that... You got a record deal at Sony. Yep. Did Laidback come after that? I think it was. I think it was after that. Yeah, because Sony was. When was that? Yeah, I think you got your deal at Sony first, and then we lost that deal. Yeah. And then you got the Aldine cut, yep. and then Reviver stepped in and offered you a deal after that. Yep. And then we signed with Reviver, and uh, they loved a couple of my songs, especially one song I wrote called "Somewhere on a Beach," and uh, then. Uh, we were gonna. We were talking about somewhere on a beach being a single for me, and then a guy named Dirks Bentley heard it and was like, "Man, I really love this song, and I want it to be the new single in the name of the tour and all this stuff." And I remember the conversation we had about it. Yep. And uh, we we're just like, "I'm a huge Dirks fan. 
it's going to do nothing but help me. Let's let him but have it. Was, it. You were really, we were all really torn. Yeah, about was, that. Yeah, I mean, we loved somewhere on a beach, and we wanted to release it. But at the end of the day, you know, I was still living with Jaren. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, and and those are tricky things that a lot of people are listening might not understand that. It's kind of like, yeah, it's an easy thing. Just give Dirks a song, but you're like, wow, well, that that might have been something for me too to make a difference. But then that song changed your life. It did in the path it took anyway, right? Because it went number one, multiple week number one, huge song. You know, won you song of the year at CSAC, yeah, CSAC Awards, yeah. which is incredible. You know, so um, sometimes things happen for a reason, and luckily the cool thing about you is that you weren't afraid you couldn't write another one right and that's what some writers get caught up in they're afraid to let something go and you're like well yeah man but somebody that's supposed to be here can write another one right and that's what they keep forgetting you know that that's your job is to write hit songs right and, and that's what you're doing here you no know, i just assumed with our our team we have around us we can we can do it as long as we want as long as we do it you know yeah. and uh we did thankfully all right you're sitting at csac awards and we're all sitting at this table, and then Dirks Bentley comes on stage to give an award away. Yeah. And you were you you didn't know. You and Jaren <laughs> yeah, did not know. I, we had no clue we were we about knew. to win Song of the Year. Yeah, of course y'all knew. <laughs> Shady. <laughs> Shady Shalacy. <laughs> hey, y'all. I'm Michael Tyler, and you're listening to Knox Country Podcast. And then he calls us up, and... You know, my mom's there, and everybody's there, and everybody's freaking out. It's really cool. I shook Dirk Bentley's hand, and he hands me this award. We all got to stand in a group picture, and, you know, that was my first single. I never understood what it was like to have a single until that, you know, your phone starts blowing up. People want to write with you, you know. It gave you a lot of credibility. Yeah, it gives you a lot of credibility, and, you know, it, it shows you, you know, what all, like, Red Akins and Ben Hazlip and all these guys, like, you know, you can see where their drive comes from once yeah. it happens, you know. Yeah, that's good. And well, let's back up a little bit now because you've been at Pierre for a couple of years, you know, and your mom's walking through the building and sees a picture of Jimmy Rogers on the wall mm-hmm. and says, Hey, we're related to a Jimmy Rogers. And, no, but um, he died in 1933. And we're all looking at each other going, That's our Jimmy Rogers. <laughs> yeah. You know, so, so, so tell a little bit of that story. Yeah, well, we had no clue we were related to the Jimmy Rogers, the father of country music, Jimmy Rogers, until, you know, she saw the picture and you started asking questions. And she's like, well, maybe I need to go home on Ancestry. She was obsessed with Ancestry.com at the time. <laughs> so she got on there and did some digging and found the connection. And it is like second cousin twice removed, some kind of craziness um, related down the line. But, but yeah, it's pretty spooky, yeah. you know, that I ended up there at Pier after however many years yeah. that is but it's a direct bloodline yeah definitely. it's not like married in the no nope, it's mean, not it's married a, in it's not adopted it's you know but that's crazy but that, that you'd already been there two years and ralph peer started peer music with jimmy rogers right and then 90 years later we're sitting there staring at a wall yeah. and you're like i'm related to this guy yeah you know? like you said everything happens for a reason and i you know sometimes it shows little shows little hints of it i guess but that's awesome man so you won song of the year you got a record deal now you've been pumping some singles out so tell us a little bit about that yeah remember these words it's one of my favorite songs i've written it's a super duper love song (laughs) and uh, i'm just that kind of guy man i love i'd write a love song every day if if my writers would let me which they don't 
Um, <laughs> I'm glad you're admitting that, though. I, I yeah. was waiting for you to be like, oh, you know, it's so far removed from what I do. And no, like, yeah. You are such I'm that guy. A punk. I love writing love songs. Just like... <laughs> 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 no, just like They Can't See was one of my favorite songs, too, yeah. at the time. And, you know, now this one is taking its place. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. And you did get a taste of that love song kind of deal with Jason as well, with him and Kelsey Ballerina. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, we wrote a song called First Time Again. I remember I just had the piano vocal and I sent it to you and you're like, I'm going to send this to Jason. I was like, oh God, I didn't I didn't realize that, you know, sometimes when you write songs, you try to direct them at people and other times you write something for you and then for some reason, they always love those songs more. You know, you're learning, you, you figure this out. But I mean, Jason was a, a big influence Yeah, Jason. Yeah, I mean, he was a huge influence and that's why a lot of my stuff, you know, is appealing to him. Because it's, you know, him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> he was your influence. No. Yeah. But that's what really turned me on about you, man, was the melody aspect of what you do. And then, of course, your presentation. You know, even though we were trying to learn some Brian Adams songs and you were having trouble with some of those mm-hmm. melodies when we were doing live yeah. stuff, you come off that way like a modern day version of that. You know, that heaven, that yeah. that that kind of cuts like a knife world. And, you're, and, and that presentation of your melodies with your ballads are second to none. And, and we got to hear that with that song. And, you know, your single that you had, we got to hear it in that. Right. And now you're doing this up-tempo stuff. Now a lot of people are really really attracted to some of these tempos that you were doing and it's got to be your lifestyle that you're putting in the lyrics yeah i mean my first concert was poison and cinderella and i'm from a town of 2,000 people so when you mix redneck with 80s hair band and country music <laughs> you know you're gonna get some cool stuff all right now the new jason aldean record you know rearview town i think you got two yeah we got two on there this yeah, time yeah, snuck yeah. two on it seems i'm trying to i'm getting more and more every year i'm getting better and, at it and those those titles yeah we got dirt to dust track number one and girl like you track number three and uh i've always it's always always been curious looking at albums and where the songs are placed because sometimes songs you know track number three and it's never a single you know so you can, <laughs> I, I don't even you're getting like to the math and the yeah, science yeah, of it's it all like you're always everybody's always trying to figure out you know but uh it's really you know i'm, I'm super blessed and thankful that he's chose you know girl like you as the next single I think it's a great move. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's it's insane, man. And Dirt to Dust is one of my favorite up tempos on you. the whole album. Yeah, no, I, I actually song. heard it the other day on on a one of his little commercials he's doing for his shows and stuff. Yep. It's really awesome. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. a great song. And sometimes those up tempos are so obvious that they get overlooked a little bit. Mm-hmm. But Girl Like You is is so like a little left of center for him which is kind of what he's getting into these days yeah. to kind of give that little extra thing mm-hmm. and man what a cool thing but that's y'all building that track singing i mean but that's that melody thing too man it, it, it came in the verse on that one yeah definitely. you had those really cool melodies in those verses but y'all had some really cool you know kind of vibe going on in the demo that was that was tough to emulate yeah that day i remember it was me jaron boyer and josh miranda and we got in there and uh I can't remember who threw out the title, Girl Like You, but we just started grooving on this track and building this. Josh was doing this beatbox thing, and I was like, hey, come over here. Let's both do this little hum thing that you hear in there in, you know, in between the lines and the verses. And we couldn't figure out the verses, so we were like, all right, let's get back to it another day. And I went home, and I wrote you know, the first verse and came back, and they're like, oh, my gosh. All right, let's fix this, and let's make it right. And Sometimes it just happens like that. And other days, like somewhere on a beach, it takes an hour and a half. It's, just, it's weird. So 10 years later, 
you're sitting at Tootsie's playing me eight Jason Aldean songs, <laughs> and uh, you know, ten years later, you're sitting here with a Jason Aldean single. Yeah, it's, it's pretty nuts when you think. But about your it. first cut as a songwriter was a Jason yep. cut, and then you cut some stuff as an artist. But now Jason's giving you your first Jason Aldean single. Heck yeah! That you've kind of done. T- it's, it's funny, man. Ten years later, here it is. It's sitting right in front of you. Yeah, it's. I don't know what to say. You know, I, I think about it all the time. I, all I can say is I'm thankful and thank y'all. Well, and we're cutting the next record. We're, we're going to start cutting the next record, and you got a few things that are hanging in there too. And that's and that's what's kind of neat about building a new team around around an artist. You yeah, know? and that's why I've always wanted to be a part of that team. So you know, it's everything's happening. Everything's you know, the gears are greased and it's going. So you've had an opportunity to see Jason perform "Girl Like You" live. Yeah. How how was that? Oh, it's 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 weird. I mean, like you know, I was a huge fan of this guy, and every time you know he's you know we get go to a show or something, he brings us back. We watched one in Indianapolis. We've watched him play in Nashville before, but you know now that he's playing your song, you know, to all these people that are that are already singing back the words because the album's been out for a little bit, it's it's a feeling like nothing else. It's hard to explain. It's just like you know, it, it's hard for me to think you did this. You mm-hmm. know, this is your work. This is a sold-out Bridgestone crowd. They know all the words. It just, I don't know, it, it doesn't really hit you, I guess, until, you know. It hits you. Yeah. <laughs> it don't hit you until it hits you, yeah. <laughs> well, let's go back. Uh, you know, you, you are an artist with a record deal, but you're getting cuts on other artists. You know, how do you find yourself kind of balancing what you let get away from you? I think it just depends on at the end of the day when you finish the song and I listen back to it and if I'm in love with the song and I know that I feel in my heart that I need to sing this song that's when I pull one back you know but it's hard whenever somebody like Jason Aldean wants to single one of them <laughs> um, because I'm such a huge fan so I'm biased it's I really get torn sometimes yeah. but you know there are times like you know there's a song or two that you know about that I've held on to and other people wanted to cut and make singles and everything, and I'm just I'm holding on to them for the right moment. Yeah, and you know when you're in a writer's room, I know you probably don't start off writing for somebody, but do you find the room changing some attitude while you're writing, where you go, "Hey, man, this is really something for me," or this might be cool for somebody else? Do, do you find that changing your perspective on how you write, or are you still? approaching it the same way every time yeah i still just go in and you know if we write a verse course and it sounds awesome something i love something i feel like i could listen to over and over then i feel like that's something i would sing you know well and the thing you got to get used to is that a lot of these artists they're they're cutting your songs because they're liking what you're doing Mm -hmm. so they expect that from you they don't expect you to write a jason song right they expect you to write something that they want to enter in and be different so so that's what i was bringing up man because it's neat to keep your perspective that no i'm always the artist Mm -hmm. in the room i'm writing how i feel yeah you know because it's hard not to get caught up in wanting a cut by somebody right yeah it's like you can't just go in and be like all right we're gonna write a tim mcgraw song today some people do it and they get a lot of cuts you know but me personally i can't just go in and be like all right i'm gonna write this kind of song because I'm not Tim McGraw. You know, I can't go in and say I'm going to write a song for, you know, so-and-so because I'm me. And, the you know, it always comes out as my song at the end of the day. You know, yeah. whether they want to cut it and single it over me cutting it and singling it, you know, that's the difference. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's talk about um, you're out on the road a lot playing with, you got your own band. Mm-hmm. Y'all were out jamming a lot. You probably had a different, like, like back in the day when you were playing on the on the trailer, you know, you oh, probably yeah. played what four, five, six songs. You know. Oh yeah. You know, but now you got to play an hour and a half. Mm-hmm. 
how does i mean do you really feed off the crowd or do you pretty much say hey man this is this is how i want to say what i'm saying you know well you know sometimes it depends some shows are different from other shows but most of the time i go out there and you know we have our set list of songs that you know when the crowd starts singing back at you and putting their drinks in the air it's gonna you know you you do feed off that and it pumps you up and it just makes makes that night a lot better Knox Country Podcast Edition. Some of you know me as a record producer for acts like Jason Aldean and Thomas Rhett. Others know me as the son of rock and roll legend Buddy Knox, party doll fame back in 1957. I'm Michael Knox. Welcome to my world. You're listening to Knox Country Podcast. Hey, this is Keith Urban. What's up, y'all? It's your boys here, Florida Georgia Line. Hey, this is Little Big Town. And you're listening to Knox Country. You've entered Knox Country. Welcome back to the Knox Country Podcast. So have you ever been live and just turned around to the drummer going, we're going to do this song, and then y'all started playing and everybody went to the bathroom? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think everybody at some point has you know, had that happen. Not recently, thankfully. Um, but, uh, but yeah, there are, you know, every time you, it seems like you, okay, for example, we were at a, you know, a four-wheeler park, uh, ATV park somewhere in Louisiana, and um, we played this ballad you know, a bunch of people on four wheelers drinking beer and having a good time. We play this ballad, and uh, you know, you can start seeing people get on their phones and calling people and you know asking for <laughs> drinks and whatnot. And start hearing four wheelers cranking up. <laughs> then you play, yeah, but then you play, you know, Jack and Diane, and everybody goes nuts. You know, yeah. and it's just you got. I, I feed off the crowd a lot, but that's important for a new artist to have to go through. Definitely, you have to. Find you have to out, find out yeah. what they like. Yeah, you know, or you have to find out what you're good at. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's what you've been doing the past few years, and, and that's that growth, I think. And that's what I've been seeing and real proud of from you and the band, too. You know, y'all were really finding what you're strong at. You know, because I remember starting off, and, you know, in some of your earlier shows, you would get hoarse early. You oh, would yeah. do some things like that. And it wasn't for any other thing but just singing songs we didn't need to be singing. Right. So you're, you know, when you're nervous about it or you're trying too hard, you know, you go hoarse. Yeah. But it's funny when you sing a song that you're supposed to be singing, it's effortless. Right. And that's when you know, you know. I mean, it's it's whenever, you know, we were singing. I can't remember what we were trying to sing. Some 80s hair band songs. We were trying to <laughs> turn in our little cool covers. And I can't even hit the notes in the chorus. That's when you go hoarse. But, yeah, we've, we've definitely figured out a flow, you know, yeah. what works. But it's funny. I mean, you can sing... Gavin DeGraw and Maroon 5 and have no problems. Right. But you'll sing, you know, something that you think is easy. Yeah. But it's funny how it's hard. Yeah. It's it's just a melody thing, I guess. Yep. yep. Yeah, it's just it's certain melodies and running around on stage, you know, slapping hands and running out of breath. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so when you're when you're writing, I mean, who are your go-to guys when you say, "Man, it you know, because I remember you coming in my office going, man, I just hadn't been writing in a while. I, I need to clear my plate and get with my go-tos. Yeah. So who, who are your go-to guys? My go-to guys would be, you know, right now, Jaron Boyer, Josh Miranda, Thomas Archer, you know, most of those guys and, and uh, most of the peer guys. I mean, it's really cool how we've, how y'all have signed a crew that we all get along with and we can actually write with, you know, because most publishing companies, they want you to like write with all their writers and there's never a good groove there and it's just something you're forced to do but with us it's a big old crew you know yeah we all get along and all write good stuff together yeah that's cool do you find yourself gravitating towards certain writers for certain types of songs or do you just let the room do its move 
It depends. Like, if I go in with Jaron Boyer, I know we're going to write something good no matter what it is. And, you know, some people have other strong suits, but most of the time I go in and it, it's I know what they do. They know what I do. That's why I stick with them, you know, because we know what we're going to get at the end of the day. Yeah. All right, so you're a writer's night guy or you're a full band guy? I Don't get me wrong. I love some writer's nights. I love getting up there with just me and acoustic and a lot of reverb. And, and, you, do that so, <laughs> and you do that so well. And, and from day one, we always told you that it was really hard for an artist or sometimes like in, in a radio setting for an artist to be expected to pull off, you know, the energy right. or, or the intensity of a song. Um, just you know by themselves but we always told you that I mean that's a big deal if you can do it yeah and you've always been able to do it and I think recently you've realized how um, how much of an impact that makes Definitely. and so you've embraced it a little bit more whereas before you were just like no yeah. I want this I want you know this guy with me and now you know there are certain settings where the full band of the trio helps right but it really makes an impact when you can pull it off by yourself and yeah. you do that amazingly well you know it all depends too you, you can't just throw one person in a guitar into a crowd of ten thousand people mm-hmm. you know after a full band just went on yeah you know or right before a full band's about to go on sometimes it don't work sometimes it does but one thing i've noticed is like whenever i get up there with an acoustic i can actually sit and talk to the crowd i can actually see what's going on they can they get, get what i'm saying i get them laughing you know you just you get to express yourself a lot more when they're you know listening and you're not you know with a full band and they just they're drinking and they love your stuff still but it's you know it's it's a complete different atmosphere yeah. you know one's there to have a good time the other one's there to enjoy the music and really listen to what you're saying yeah your stage presence and confidence has grown so much in the past few years and i think it's i don't know if you realize it it's because of the struggles like you yeah, say getting there and being thrown everybody into gets these... better from failing and we've yeah. done a lot of failing <laughs> well, but, but, but your writing, but your writing has gotten like ten times better too. Just in the past five years, four years, you know, e- even the first album you cut, which I love, you know, your new stuff, you know, it's still, I'm still seeing the advancement of going to the next place, yeah. and that's what's cool, you know, because you've been doing it for so long, mm-hmm. and you're still getting better. You know, sometimes people hit a place, yeah, and that's just where they are. But it's neat watching that happen. Yeah, I think a lot of it comes to like when you get a cut, like somewhere on a beach, or a girl like you, you're always the next day. You're always like, dang, how am I going to do better than that? And you just keep trying to do better. And if for me, I know a lot of people do not live by this, but if I go in and write a song and the first verse and chorus is terrible, I'm not going to finish that song. I'm not even going to turn that song in. I'm going to start a song that I'm in love with and want to finish and believe in. You know. Hey guys, it's Shalacy. Check us out on the web at KnoxCountry360.com or on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at KnoxCountry360. Talk about that. You're the new generation writers. Y'all are the ADD generation. (laughs) You know, um, when you're writing with a veteran, they're a little more poised about that where, oh, yeah. where, where they wait they, they want to see if it can come around right it doesn't mean it's always going to happen but do you like writing with veterans more than more than guys kind of in your position I'm in between because you know sometimes you know my short attention span will get the best of me and you know they'll make me see that this is a good song and I almost just threw away a good song sometimes you know yeah. and we write the whole thing and it's awesome but um other times, you know, whenever me and my my crew go in and we write a song and writing something like "Girl Like You," that I forgot this happened that day. We were writing a song, it sucked, and we're like, I was like, "All right, guys, why don't we back off this for a second and just 
turn the track off for you know half an hour and try to write something else and they're like oh, okay so we started grooving on girl like you and got some things moving and sing, sing some chorus melodies and that turned into girl like you so yeah as a songwriter you know when something sounds like it's gonna get cut you know you know when something sounds like a big song yeah do you write better with artists um i'd say it just depends on the artist i guess i've written with a lot of artists that I don't mesh with that well because they're just complete different personalities and do things complete different ways. And other guys I've written great songs with. Yeah, but that goes to the you know testament of you trying a lot of things. Yeah, you know now now it's hard to keep trying a lot of things. Right, you eventually have to get focused. Yeah. you know because you can't just wander around all the time. Right, you know. But that's a good testament of going out and saying, hey man, I need to, uh, you know, I like their stuff. Maybe I should try this. Yeah. Definitely, yeah, and I think that's what makes people better too. Is whenever you branch out and you try these new people and try these new situations, and you gain something from that, and you know, relationships, and you write songs, and then you're sitting in that same spot for a long time, and then you're like, okay, I need to branch out again. I need to try yeah. some new things, and you just you just grow. And as, as you do that, I feel like you make a lot of friends and write a lot of good songs. When I think too, you're good at at knowing yourself as a writer because I remember when you were um, sort of hitting that wall at one point. And you stepped back and you started writing by yourself again. Mm-hmm. And you started just churning out a lot of the stuff that sounded like uh, you wrote when you first came to town, mm-hmm. but just just so much stronger. Yeah. So I think you're good at, at also seeing, okay, I'm trying all this, I'm expanding, I might get a little burnout. But instead of just, you know, shutting it down, you just kind of get back to basics. Yeah. You know, and get back to yourself. It's important, too, to believe in yourself when it comes to... Because a lot of writers in town, you can get in a room and they can tell your idea sucks and your lines suck. And then you go write with someone else and y'all write a number one. You know, it's just yeah. it's, it's it's just about believing in what you do. And if you dig it, then keep doing it. It's a town of opinions is what you're saying? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I've, we were told by someone that Somewhere on the Beach was the worst song they'd ever heard and we need to rewrite it. And then the next people we played it for wanted to you know single it so it's yeah. just you know it's it's believing in yourself when, and we've always told you that it's important you know to listen um you know ex- especially with with people who have a lot of experience but at the end of the day you have to live with the decisions you make regarding your own career right whether you succeed or you fail you don't want to ever leave it up to someone else or right. to say man if i would have done this or oh i listened to this guy and this happened you need to own Right, your career, and that's one and big thing that that Knox, you know, did for me when I was younger. He made sure I had an opinion, made sure I stayed home and wrote by myself for four years, and had my vibe when I came to town to write with other writers. I wasn't steamrolled, you know. I had I had what I wanted to say in my head, and I knew how to say it. And if they didn't like it, I'm probably still going to finish the song, yeah. <laughs> write with them the next day. But maybe we'll get it the next day. And then, you know, time went on, and they started getting it. You know. Well, cool, man, Michael. Thank you for stopping by. This is oh, awesome. Yeah. Thanks for having me in. I'm excited. Yeah, man. Till next time. Knox Country. Thanks for joining us on this episode of the Knox Country Podcast. Special thanks go out to co-host Mr. Lacey Griffin and producer Donnie Walker. See you next time. You've entered Knox Country Outtakes. Like we're not going to see him like in 20 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> we are here this week with Michael Tyler. Award-winning singer, songwriter, <laughs> artist, uh, son of a legend that we will be talking about here. What's a up? Bit. What's up? Son of a legend. Well, yeah, good, good call. <laughs> <laughs> Close. Oh, he's on TV. No, he's, 
He's somewhere. A, <laughs> somewhere on the tube. Yeah. They say I'm on TV. We yeah. saw you. Michaels could be, if I was a girl like you, I'd be listening to Knox oh my Country God. 360. <laughs> so, Michael, yeah, Michael, when you were younger and you were drinking blood in your kitchen. <laughs> yeah, this would be great for the show. Did you think you would ever be a hit songwriter? Or was that the twilight? Never know. It could have been some of Red Aiken's blood. <laughs> <laughs> Knox Country Podcast Edition.